Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend Eric Rawlings. Welcome to the podcast, Eric. Thank you. Um, I'll give you a bio, our listeners, on Eric. Eric is 38 years old as of June 7th. He is a student in psychology um, in Utah County. Um, then um, looking forward to a master's program so he can have a career in social work. Um, Eric um, grew up in Utah County. He is a return missionary from Iowa. He is gay, and he's an active member of the church. He is celibate um, and believes and that is his path going forward in the church is to be single and celibate. Um, Eric is known for nearly three decades that he's gay, so he's been on this road for a long time, but is just now coming out more publicly um, and is willing to share his story on the podcast. So our hope and prayers that some of the things Eric can share for you will help you. Um, if you're an ally, if you're a parent, if you're a local leader, or if you're LGBTQ, um, that's kind of as particularly our prayer that some of the things that Eric share will help you in your journey to navigate this um, this road that you're on. Um, is that okay for an introduction, Eric? Yeah, that's great. Um, thanks again for being on the podcast. Um, talk about just when did you realize, you're 38 now, when did you realize um, you were gay? Um, I was 10 years old when I realized that I was attracted to to boys. Um, but, um, for me, I didn't really realize that I was gay until I was probably about 12 years old. I, at the time, um, when I was 10, I didn't really know what it meant to be gay, but, um, I think for me, when I, uh, realized that I was gay, that brought about a lot of shame. And I felt like that was something I needed to hide. And did you tell anybody before your mission about this part of you? No, I, for me, it wasn't until I was um, about 28 years old um, that anybody knew that, that I had, um, that I was gay. Talk to us about what was going on in your mind. These, you know, from age 12 to 28 is 16 years. Um, of keeping this mm -hmm. part of yourself um, just with you. Um, take us back to those years. What was going on in your mind? Were you trying to pray to God to make this go away? Were you feeling a lot of shame, both? Were you feeling like it could go away if you served a mission? That's kind of a loaded question, but just kind of help us understand where you were these 16 years. Sure. Um, for me, I... Um... I grew up in Provo and for me, I didn't really, um, I grew up in a broken home. I, uh, had a father that was, uh, abusive physically and emotionally and psychologically. And, uh, so for me growing up was, was pretty hard and I was bullied at, at school too. So there was abuse on, on both ends. And for me, I felt like, um, my self-confidence and self-esteem was really something that I, that I struggled with during those years. Um, and, uh, I've always been a pretty, um, introverted person. And so, um, it really, 
was a struggle for me to um, to keep that uh, um, inside myself. I, I wanted to tell other people, but it's uh, it's scary to think, at least for me at that time, it was scary to think about um, sharing that part of myself with, uh, with other people. Um, for me, growing up at that time, um, homosexuality was looked at pretty negatively, and um, I knew a few other people that I went to school with who were um, who were gay and and they were treated pretty badly and and so for me that was really a reinforcement for me that I wanted to keep those things uh, to myself. Thanks for just sharing that. It's pretty tender stuff, Eric. Seriously, sure. did you? Um, oh, I had a question in my mind. About, did you feel like you did something wrong to cause this or that your family situation caused you? What? Because I to share with our listeners just that part of your story. Sure. Um, yeah, definitely. There were times that I, that I felt like um, that I was a bad person or that I did something um, to deserve that. I never felt like... Um, that God hated me, but there were definitely times that I felt like um, that I was less than um, because because I dealt with this. Um, I um, I can't really say that I felt like I I did something wrong, but um, but yeah, definitely. Um. Was I assume that at times you've had it some gotten in some really dark places emotionally? Were the darkest times before your mission or after your mission regarding your sexuality? Um, it was a little bit of both. I think for me, um, I didn't really have many friends. I really kept to myself, and so a lot of time I spent um, by myself, and so it was really really lonely growing up. And for me, I felt like um, the way that I coped um, with my sexuality was um, was turning to um, pornography because I felt like that was an escape for me for from um, from the, what was going on. And I've learned that um a lot of really good people get involved in pornography and it's not mm-hmm. out of rebellion or a desire to turn away from God. It become it's a coping um, skill right. to deal with anxiety, stress, loneliness, needing connection. And so I, I'm honored. I'm, I recognize the courage it just takes to bring that up proactively in a podcast and let our listeners know that's part of your journey. And that helps me understand that, you don't have tons of shame around that, which to me is one of the paths to healing and putting that behind you is recognizing shame says I am bad versus I did something bad. But, um, so that's pretty honest. What would you, any, what would your 38 now, what would you go back and say to your 15 year old self? Um, I think for me, it would be, um, it would be loving yourself. Um, for me, loving myself has, has been a real struggle. Um, I, 
um, have just recently um, opened my heart to to loving myself. I've um, gone to a therapist and have had help with that, but I think for me, growing up and having a lack of of confidence really um, really shaped who I how I felt about myself and. Um, I think I've come to a point in my life right now where I'm, I'm accepting love for myself. It's, it's always been easy for me to, um, to love others and have compassion for others, but it's always been really difficult to, to feel a sense of, of love for myself. It's honest. What, what is the therapist taught you or what have you learn through personal revelation about how to love yourself. This is sort of you talking to our listeners sure. that want to love themselves, but kind of look in the mirror and go, I, I'm unlovable. Sure. For, for me, I think the thing that helped the most, um, he had me write a letter to, to my younger self and it was a really difficult thing to do. I, uh, he gave me that assignment and um, I had about a month to accomplish uh, that letter, and I sat down that first weekend, and I wrote maybe a sentence or two, and I felt like I just, like I just couldn't do it. And it came to like a day or two before the appointment, and I knew that I needed to to write this letter, and. I was able to express things in that letter that that I really needed to that I really needed to hear, um, and I felt like it was it was truly a a blessing for me to be able to write that letter, and it's helped me open my heart to to feeling feelings of love for myself. It's a really interesting thing that your therapist had you do. Share with us just thoughts that came. You don't have to read the letter word for word. You may, you, but what were some of the things that you said in that letter to your younger self? Will you share any of those with our listeners? Sure, I would be glad to. Um, I think for myself, the most important thing was 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 uh, being able to realize that that I am loved and that there are people in my life that, that care about me and that, um, that I'm, that I'm a, a worthwhile person and that, um, that I'm deserving of love. I love that. Talk about your heavenly parents. How do they feel about you? Um, you know, I felt like, and I've, I've talked about this with other people, but I felt like for me, this um, being gay, I felt like a lot of people feel like um, the trials that they go through, you know, that there's something that you just, um, you know, are a sign that you, um, but I felt like for me, that this is something that I counseled with my father in heaven about 
and that we we both wept about because we knew how hard it would be um but that he knew that i was i was strong enough to to make it through this um this in my life i love that term counseled together and i love the humanizing our heavenly father that he loves you and he knew it would be hard for you and he wept with you what makes your life mission possible? I'm kind of bouncing around. Why do you think, what makes your life mission possible that wouldn't be possible if you weren't gay? Um, I think for me it's difficult to, um, to see other people around me who are, are happy and, and dating and knowing that, that that's not going to be a part of my life. I have, I have a few friends that I, um, that I'm fairly close to and, um, it is hard to, to see people getting married and having kids and moving forward with their lives and knowing that, that that's, uh, that that's something that you'll never have. That's painful. Um, what do you feel like you're able to do to bless other people's lives and to reach people because you're gay? Um, I feel like for me, it's offered me a, a true sense of compassion. I feel like I'm, I'm a more sensitive individual and I've been able to empathize with people more and able to, to see the goodness in them. I love that. So um, if I had t visited with you before you left on your mission in Iowa, would you, were you, and I, were you, uh, you're aware of your sexual orientation, you haven't told anybody, did you feel like if you served a mission and served the Lord that he, that you'd come back and be straight? Or did you recognize that's probably not going to happen? I did have hopes that, um, that I would be able to develop an attraction to, to women. And for me, I, I tried to work hard on my mission. And I, I thought to myself, if I do that, then, then maybe I will come back and be able to be attracted to, to women and get married and, um, and have kids. And then talk about coming home and recognizing that that hope, I love the word hope, by the way, Eric, um, and that that hope perhaps changed and your expectations changed. Tell us how that happened. Um, I think for me, it was, it was a gradual thing. I dated here and there, but I think there was, um, there was disappointment um, after, you know, going on so many dates and, and trying for so long and, um, and then coming to a point where you realize that that this isn't this isn't gonna gonna work out. It took a long time for me to accept the fact that um, that I wouldn't develop that attraction. And what would you say now to your 24, 25 year old self? Would it be the same thing you'd say to your 15 year old self, or would you say different things to your 25 year old self? Um. I think for me, the thing that I would say to myself is that 
that it's okay. It's okay for you to have those feelings and that it doesn't, it doesn't make you a bad person that, um, that there are good qualities that I have in myself and that, um, that if, that, um, if I don't develop that attraction, that that's okay. That was a hard thing for me to, to swallow that I wouldn't develop that, that attraction. Um, that's honest. And I, I've tried to de-shame people about sexual orientation that, you know, we've are in our heteronormative culture, people that are attracted to the opposite sex. We talk about that. They openly talk about it. Our visual imagery, our movies, our media um, portray couples that are attracted to the opposite sex. And if you're not wired that way, um, there's a great deal of shame for having feelings towards the same sex. And I've, and mm-hmm. after after being in this space for a while, I've recognized that people shouldn't feel shame for that. That's just how they are. Um, and there's nothing they can do to probably make that not happen. And, and I think then if you look in the mirror and don't feel shame for having those feelings, then you stay more connected to God and are more likely to make better decisions going forward instead of just feeling immense amount of shame um, for how you're sick, how you're wired. Are you okay with that? Anything to add to that or change on that? No, I think you're exactly right. I think um, now that I've been able to, to grow and understand those feelings, I, I appreciate who I am and I've been able to accept that part of me and and know that 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 doesn't make me a bad person that um that there's things that i have to offer because of the fact that i am gay talk about um so you've been on this road since age 10 um what happened at age 28 to come out um i think for me i was dealing with my addiction with pornography and I had gone to, to see the Bishop and um, I had a really wonderful Bishop at the time. And that was the first time that I had, had talked with a Bishop about um, my sexuality and those, those feelings. And, you know, that was really the first time I was able to, to open up about, about being, about being gay and that was really after that meeting with the bishop that was really the first time that i that i opened up with um with my mom and said hey these are the the feelings that i'm that i'm feeling what did that bishop do that was helpful as you came out um i think for me it was it was a scary thing knowing that i was going to um talk with my with my bishop about those things and i i thought in my mind that it was going to be a negative experience but being able to meet with a bishop and have him accept me and receive nothing but love and and comfort instead of experiencing those negative feelings that you do sometimes when when you share something like that. I've heard of other people who have 
who have opened up to to bishops, and it hasn't been a positive experience. Um, and it doesn't seem like it's very complex for bishops to meet the needs of people coming out. It just seems mm-hmm. like the formula is to sit with them, listen, um, and it just seems like that's the formula to sit with them, listen, ask fall, open-ended follow-up questions and let them kind of drive the conversation. Uh, we're kind of on porn a little bit and I don't want to, you know, this is just, this is not the focus of this podcast or the, or who you are, but I, you know, I remember back to when I was a bishop and some training and once a YSA would talk to me about pornography, sometimes I would ask them, um, is that straight porn? Is it gay porn? Or would you rather not talk about that part of your pornography journey with me? Um, is that a, do you feel that's an appropriate question? Or should I, any thoughts for just bishops? If someone talks about pornography, if I should ask a follow-up question, trying to sort of, it's kind of an end round, I guess, Eric, to figure out their sexual sure. orientation. <laughs> I'm, sure. I'm kind of thinking out loud here, but help me on that one. Sure, I do think it's important because I think um, being able to receive help and for the the bishop or stake president or whoever you're talking to to know where you're coming from, I think that's important for them to be able to to know where where that addiction lies. So that's helpful, and that's just the way I handled it. For those of you that are local leaders, I did ask when someone would. Um, talk about their pornography, I usually asked a follow-up question, just kind of, is that straight pornography or gay porn, or would you rather not talk about that at this point? And that's just the way I handled it. And I pretty much, as I pretty much asked that to most or all YSAs. That was part of the training I got. And I probably wish I had um, went and spoke to the elders quorum in the Release Society and just sort of said, hey, um, if you know, if you're going to talk to me about pornography, I'd like you to. And this is, you know, these are, I'll probably ask all of you that question so that I think in a way being knowing in advance the questions you're going to get asked by the bishop one-on-one prepares you if if you want to talk about that kind of stuff. So um, it sounds like your bishop did a good job. Talk about coming out to your mom and she's alive. Talk about how that went down. Um, for me, um, really, um, the thought of of coming out to anybody was something that produced anxiety for me. <laughs> I figured that things would be okay, but I didn't really, I didn't really know. Growing up with a father that was abusive, I I was afraid um, of receiving a negative uh, a negative reaction. I knew. Um, yeah, you know, you hear stories of other people who have, have come out and it's not a good experience. Um, but for me, I feel like, um, my family has been a huge, um, support and it's a tragedy that, that there are individuals who, who come out and aren't, um, and don't receive that love and compassion and, and understanding that they they should receive, I think that's something that everybody um, that everybody deserves. 
talk about um, as you've come out to family, what's some of the best things that have, have they said that have been the most helpful? Um, I think for me, it's been um, family being accepting and willing to accept me for, for who I am and, and, not, um, and not judge me. I think that's been the most important um, part. Um, and then just uh, supporting me with my decisions and where, where I want to be in life um, and not forcing me to go one way or the other. I, uh, for me, coming out to my mom, I worried that, um, that I would be disappointing her because, um, because I'm not um, getting married or she won't um, have grandchildren from me or um, get to enjoy that experience. Um, I love that. And talk about, um, you know, there's a lot of people out there working on pornography. I'm coming back to pornography. What advice do you give to people, um, men and women that are working to solve pornography, but it's a part of their life? What, what advice would you give to them, Eric? Um, I think the most important thing is, first of all, that it doesn't make you a bad person and also that it's it's a day-to-day journey that if you if you struggle with it and you're not perfect that that that's okay that as long as you're working and you're trying and um and you're striving to to um to do better and also counseling with the Lord in your in that journey and being able to to let him know hey this is something that that I want to to work on and to give up I think that that's really important that's good there's ever there's so much hope in what you said Eric I just think that's the way the savior would give us all hope um, whatever we're working on and help us feel loved now and that we're enough now um, and that we need to continue to work and try to get these things behind us, but it's a journey. Um, I've also felt like it's really important to sort of say, I think some people say, well, I'm just going to kind of do this on my own. I'm going to step away from God, step away from the church, and then I'm going to come back to God and the church when I've sort of figured out and solved all my whatever I need to solve, and then that's when I'll reconnect. And I, I love what you're teaching here because you're saying, involve the church, your bishop, and God, and the atonement in your journey. Um, We're not meant uh, to—sometimes we men are pretty independent, kind of want to do everything on our own, and I think that's part of um, the humility we need to learn as we're going forward in life is is to approach it from that standpoint and also the role of others in our lives. Um, and I think every, I think our listeners are aware of what I've said before about pornography. But for me, pornography doesn't change sexual orientation. It's just a window into someone's sexual orientation. And um, so that's just my thought on that. Are, any more thoughts you want to share about pornography, Eric? Um, I just think that um, not being too hard on yourself and um, if you do get discouraged, knowing that 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 there is hope there, like you said, and that um, 
to love yourself despite what's going on. And I know that's a really hard thing to do when you're in the throes of something like that, but to, to always have hope and to, to remain positive as hard as it is. Um, yeah. Um, talk about um, just finding forgiveness um, for yourself and others. I'm sure with others, there's people in your life, you've been honest about your father and classmates at school and being bullied. You've had from people that should be the balm of Gilead have been the source of pain um, during really vulnerable times. And I'm sure there's other times that that's happened. And so how do you just talk about finding forgiveness for others and also for yourself? Um, I feel like for me, each of us have have sacred experiences that we go through that are that are tied to each of us, and that that God gives us. I think for me, um, forgiving my father was probably one of the hardest things to do. Um, when those things were going on, I I felt nothing but anger and frustration that. I was being treated that way. And when I was about seven years old, I told myself that I was never going to forgive my father, that there was too much that had been that had been done. And when I was on my mission, I tried so hard to forgive my father. I was teaching other people about forgiveness. And I, I thought to myself, I'm trying so hard. How come I can't forgive my father? I would try, and I thought that I had forgiven, but those feelings of anger and resentment just, um, they would come to the surface again. And I got home from my mission, and I, I tried again, and it just, it didn't work. And finally, um, about probably five or six years ago, um, I had an experience that was just one I think that was tailored to me. I, uh, I prayed to, to Heavenly Father and I said, Heavenly Father, I want to forgive. I want to just let go of this. And I remember specifically at the time that I was um, reading in the Bible um, about the Savior's crucifixion. And I got to the point where the Savior says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And the part, forgive them for they know not what they, do, what they do, had stuck out to me that I had always thought for me that the Savior was just talking to the Roman soldiers who were crucifying him. But at that point, I had realized that he was, he was speaking to each of us because there's so many things that we do that we aren't aware of that we're hurting others or, or the Savior and that he's pleading for us for forgiveness. And at that point, I had reached the point where all of I was willing to let go of that anger and frustration. And I remember sitting 
by my bed. And I don't know if I was dreaming or, or what was going on, but I saw my father's face. And there were tears that were streaming down his face. And I could hear him saying, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. And at that point, that was the first time that I had that I had felt love from my father and that he truly did love me. I'm so touched. And I, it, your father had passed away at this point, Eric? Yeah. So that's a feeling from the other side of the veil that your father and you had this interaction. Um... I'm just so touched by that segment, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's pretty familiar scripture to me and to probably listeners. And you're right, it's the Savior talking about the Romans, maybe others. Um, and I think there's these people that wound us, some intentionally and some that they're aware of they wound us. But then, like you so compassionately said, there's other people in our lives that wound us and they may not know. Um, and certainly for LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, they get a fair amount of wounding from places that shouldn't be wounding them, family situations, church, culture, society. And I love the, you know, I love what you're teaching here. Do you think your father was allowed to have that experience with you because you first forgave him? I think so. I think that that all of us deserve forgiveness, no matter the things that we've done. I feel like um, it's definitely a hard thing to do to to forgive. But I do think that he was he was allowed um, to have that experience, and you know, I think it was it was meant for both of us. But um, you know, I. I don't know why specifically it took that long for for me to to have that experience, but I feel like that was something that I needed at that time in my life. I needed to be able to um, feel that connection with my father. I have regrets that that didn't happen while he was here on the earth. I um, would have loved to be able to to have some closure before he uh, before he passed away, but I'm I'm certainly glad that I had that experience. What talk about the next life when you are in the next life? Are you excited to see your father? Are you are you nervous about seeing your father? Talk about just that reunion, or will you um, avo- will I you think, avoid seeing your father? I think for me. The feeling that I get is that the person that we're here on, the person who's here on earth and our spirit, the, the thing that's there um, in, in heaven, I feel like they're two, they're two separate things. The person that we, that we see after, um, after we're gone, I feel like that's, 
somebody that's going to be totally different than the person that we knew here on earth, especially if we've gone through those painful, those painful things. I think, um, you know, there's the, the natural man um, that is inside each of us that does things that, that makes those, our spirits hurt. But I think our, our spirits are, are different from, um, from who, uh, who we are inside. I love that. And I, I just love you're 38 years old and you're going through life, um, not dreading the next life and how that's going to work out with your father. Um, because you've healed this relationship and, um, even though like you have regret in some ways that didn't heal before he left, um, earth life. I love that because you got to this space where you had to let it go and use the atonement and these words, that then you just felt peace and you actually had this deeply personal spiritual experience with your father's reaction and maybe the awareness of what he had done when he says, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. And I think there's healing in that, Eric, that he is aware, um, you know, once he got to heaven and perhaps his eyes were opened um, so I, I think that's a wonderful, beautiful um, healing relationship that's possible because of you and your father and the atonement of Jesus Christ. Talk about um, conversion therapy. Did you ever go to conversion therapy? I did. I tried that for several years, but I feel like, you know, um, when I'd go on on dates with uh, with girls, I had hope that there would be an attraction that would form there. And there's every single time you go on those dates, you feel like you're just you're just with a friend. That there's no that there's no connection there, and there is feelings of of disappointment when you try and over and over again, it's the same thing. I know for me, there were periods of my life where, where it was, it was fairly dark where I felt like I didn't want to be here anymore because, because I tried so hard to develop that attraction and it, it just wasn't there. And I felt like, um, there's, there's times where you just lose, lose hope. Would you recommend, or if you could do it over again, would you have gone to conversion therapy? Was it helpful for you or was it not helpful for you? No, I, I don't think I'd recommend it. I think for me, it, it just brought on negative feelings and feelings of depression and, and, uh, um, Yeah. Did you have any reactions when Utah banned conversion therapy, I think, in early 2020? I think I think I thought that it was a positive thing, and I was glad because I knew how it made me feel going through those things. And I, I feel empathy for those who have, have gone through that because I know how discouraging it can be to, to go through that and each— um, each time, you know, have those feelings of de- disappointment and depression from trying so hard but getting no result. Thank you. And we haven't talked too much about con- conversion therapy on the podcast, but I 
thank you for your answer. That's what I thought you'd say. And on the experience I have talking with people that have been through conversion therapy. Um, there's a few other questions like, I'm just wondering if I were in your ward or your bishop or a local leader or a friend, and here you are celibate, um, gay, and single in our church and wanting to continue to do that. What can I do to support you on that journey? Um, I think just accepting me for who I am and that decision that I've made and wanting to be your friend. Um, I think that's a really important thing because I think there's a lot of loneliness in, in, in being single and, and not having um, a, a significant other there for you. I think it's important to, to have that um, friends and companion, I mean, not companionship, but others who are around you, that feeling of, of brotherhood and sisterhood that, um, that should exist and um, not, not shying away from me because I am, I am gay. Do you like it when people that are a trusted friend ask you what it's like to be gay and, and in the church? Um, do you like it when people kind of ask about your journey? Sure, definitely. I feel like um, I feel like my experience is something that I can that I can share with others, and I I feel like you know even though I've made the decision to to stay single and celibate and in the church, I also support other people's decisions to to get married or be in a same-sex relationship. I feel like I'm happy for other individuals that that experience that and I'm I'm definitely happy for them that they've that they've found love and companionship and yeah. Do you wish that that was possible for you, that you could find companionship with another male and be in the church, or is that just hard to sort of think about the complexity of that? Oh, definitely. I, I feel like uh, that I, I would love to be able to be in a relationship with a, with a male, but, um, you know, right now that's not um, the decision that I that I have made. And I like your answer there, Eric. I think if we create shame around hope, um, then I think it makes people make worse decisions. So I think it's okay that to say, um, I would love to have companionship with a male. I have same, you know, I'm wired to be with men. I would love to have a life partner um, but I'm just choosing not to do that because I'm in this double bind, so to speak, where I would have to choose between the church or companionship. And so I think that's a better place to be than sort of not acknowledging that. That may not be true of everybody's story, but I think it's true of a lot of people's story because I think we're wired for companionship. We're wired to share our life with somebody. And I think we have to recognize the set. They're sort of putting it all on the altar um, which builds more empathy for the decisions you're making. And it wants us to kind of wrap our arms around you and recognize the sacrifice you're making to stay in the church. Is that okay what I said? Any thoughts to add or clarify? Yeah, definitely. I I agree with you. I, 
I think um, I think there needs to be an understanding that there that you can be happy being gay and celibate and active in the church and you know that you can be happy on both sides you know some of our guests that are celibate in the church sort of talk about you know forced celibacy versus proactive celibacy (laughs) um and so some of the um, podcast guests i have that are like you sort of feel like they've almost taken a vow like a catholic priest um, where they proactively sort of committed to God. Um, this is, an, in their own personal way, this is their path versus sort of being told this is their path or forced celibacy, that it's more proactive, I own this, this is my path, I'm proactively choosing this. Any thoughts on that for you, and does that resonate with you or not? Um. Yeah, I do. I, I feel like there's there's things in life that we're required to sacrifice and i don't know why for me that um that i um have to sacrifice that relationship and having love and companionship in my life but that it isn't an easy thing to to sacrifice but i think um for me i'm willing to to make that sacrifice and and give that up. Yeah, and I admire you, and I, I've also sensed that those that are gay in the, and in the church and celibate often have the most empathy for those that leave the church um, and are the most happy, not leave the church necessarily per se, but just find their way into a same-sex relationship because they know how hard it is, and so... Um, they support them and just leave it at the Savior's feet because they know how difficult the road is. Um, so that may be someone's doctorate study someday. <laughs> it's to sample all the people in the church celibate and how they feel about people that have left the church because I would think they have more empathy than straight people in the church um, for people that have sort of, because they just know the, how difficult that road is at times. Um, talk. What do you, I'm sensing that this whole experience has given you increased compassion for others. Do you want to talk about why that's so? Um, I feel like each, having compassion isn't always the easiest thing, but I feel like the experiences that I've gone through have allowed me to to feel compassion for others. Um, I feel like, I don't know that I would have as much compassion as I do if I hadn't gone through those really tough experiences that I've had in in my life. Um, I would hope that I would have as much compassion that I do right now um, if I hadn't gone through those experiences. And I feel like... Um, it's allowed me to to feel um, the experiences that I've been through have allowed me to feel love for others and empathize for those who have, have gone through really hard things in their lives. Um, and it's really been a special thing to, to be able to, to relate to others who have, have gone through hard things because I know what it's like to, to feel that 
that pain and and sorrow from from going through really difficult things. I love that. I'm thinking of charity as the pure love of Christ that envieth not, not easily provoked. I'm paraphrasing that scripture, and I'm thinking of you right now, Eric, as I think about that, and as I'm visiting with you and sensing your good heart and kindness for everybody. I think I just sense people that are part of a marginalized group often have more empathy and understanding for people in that marginalized group as well as others because they just understand the pain of difficult roads and they have increased levels of compassion and then they're able to heal and help people. And um, talk about social work. Why do you want to um, become a therapist? Um, For me, I feel like, um, because I have dyslexia and dyscalculia and for me, school has always been a really difficult thing. When I was growing up, I was always told that you know, that, uh, um, that I wouldn't go to college or, um, so making that decision to go to college was a a difficult thing for me. And it's, it's taken me a lot longer than, than other people, um, to, to get that degree. But I feel like the things that I have been through have allowed me to, uh, decide to, to focus on a career where I can help others who have have gone through some of the same things that I've gone through and um, having a career that I can enjoy helping others and bringing joy into other people's lives when when they thought that 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 wasn't possible, you know. It's really cool. It sounds like you've had voices around your life that said you couldn't go to college and you were never going to amount to a college graduate. Is that true? Yes, definitely. Um, for me growing up, um, when I, I um, graduated high school um, with just a um, third grade at a third grade math level, and I remember being in college and being terrified of the fact that I'd have to learn algebra and have to do statistics later on. But it really, truly helps having a teacher that's willing to work with you and understand what you're going through. And also being in a college that that offers you accommodations and um, are willing to work with you where you're at. It's really remarkable. I grew up in a home where I was hearing positive message about my academic potential, and um, and I grew up in a home where I was just supported and believed in. And for you to, and you're careful not to be critical, but it sounds like you. There were voices around you that just said this wasn't going to be your path, and you looked at some of your scores and maybe self-conclude that. And I thought of your father when you said your graduation and what you're doing. And I just wonder if the veil will be thin enough that your father um, will bring his friends from the other side of the veil and say, you know, have a peek at my son's um, college graduation or master's. Look at my son. I am so proud of my son. He has a college degree. He is gay. 
he is, um, has a career in social work and is going to help others. And I am so proud of my son. And you won't see him sitting there in graduation ceremony, but I just wonder if that's, if he will be there somehow, Eric, and, and how proud he is of you and how kind of maybe it's probably healing for him knowing that he added to your burden at times as a father to see you make your way in life in a positive spot. And that's probably bringing him some joy and some healing on the other side of the veil. And I just kind of imagine the two of you having this eternal relationship that was pretty stormy in earth life, but has some really beautiful chapters that have started now. And that's what I believe our heavenly parents are doing and want to do and bring us together. Um, it's really remarkable what you're doing um, and the belief you have in yourself and to be navigating your, a road that perhaps no one in your family's ever walked before. So you have my love and respect. Are there any other things? Thank that you. You're welcome, my friend. Are there any other things you'd like to share with our listeners? I think just to accept yourself and be happy with who you are, no matter what you're going through, that if you're in a dark place in your life and you feel like there's no hope, that there's always hope that there's always tomorrow, that, that you have a Savior that loves you and supports you, no matter where you're at at life, whether you're straight or gay or whether you're dealing with mental health issues or, or anything like that, that he truly loves you and wants you to be happy and will support you in any decision that you make in life. Those are powerful, hopeful, healing words. And thank you, Eric Rawlings, for being on this podcast. I I just go back in closing to this word you use that you and Heavenly Father counseled together and um, maybe took you to the edge of pre-mortality. That's kind of an ongoing spiritual impression I have with our Heavenly Parents' role with us in the pre-earth life and kind of laid out our mortality and and I love that he knew how difficult your road would be, but I, I think he knew, and you did too, that you would be able to somehow handle this and you would be in a very difficult situation, but you would also be in a situation to be able to help and reach and bless other lives that wouldn't be possible without this unique, very painful and difficult journey at times. So on behalf of all of our listeners, Eric Rawlings, you are a great man. You need to hear that. And you have a great life ahead of you. And I love your words to our listeners and to me personally. And thank you, our listeners, for joining us on another episode of Rich of sorry of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Mm-hmm.